0: We've journeyed now through the gospel, through song, um, through baptism, through prayer, and now we'll just continue journeying through the gospel with the Word of God. And um, so we've made ourselves all the way through Matthew chapter 3. Tyler wrapped that up for us last week. He killed it, didn't he? Um, <laughs> If you haven't heard Matthew chapter 3 and that, those parting shots, Tyler did a fantastic job of unpacking that grand moment of Jesus' baptism. And so we'll leave the baptism today, head into the temptation of Christ. But those two are not mutually exclusive. They are intricately tied together. And so maybe it's just a recap, a reminder of what we've journeyed through or what Tyler unpacked for us When we look at the baptism of Jesus, Jesus came to be baptized, John is baptizing, Jesus shows up, and then three fireworks, boom, in the air. And hopefully you caught those three fireworks as they exploded before us. Firework number one at Jesus' baptism was that the heavens, the Greek word used is schizo, meaning the heavens ripped open into earth. There's very few times in Scripture that you see the heavens opening up, and that was one of them. So the big firework shows up at Jesus' baptism. The heaven rips open, that's number one, and then firework number two popped out. As the heavens ripped open, schizo, the Spirit falls through. And the Scripture says that the Spirit descends like a dove, and it lands on Jesus, Nobody denies this. Everybody sees this. This is a big moment. As a matter of fact, Jesus Jesus uses this as an argument against the Pharisees. When they don't believe in him, he says, why didn't you say something then? They knew it happened. So, boom, heavens rip open. Boom, spirit begins to flutter like a dove and lands on Jesus. And then firework number three, a voice from heaven begins to speak and nobody denies this. God himself begins to speak to the son and he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Grand moment. It's this awesome moment. Jesus has lived now for 30 years on the earth, but the bell hasn't rung yet that he's something special. Last week, Tyler lifted the bell and showed it to us. This week, Jesus is going to grab the bell, and the bell is going to start ringing. That there's something different about him, and that's where we find ourselves in the text. This bell is not going to be a victory bell that you would expect when Jesus arrives. We would think Jesus pops on the scene, and there's this victory bell of, here he is, long live the king, rest, peace, prosperity, but that's not the bell that begins to ring. When Jesus grabs the bell and it begins to ring, we don't hear a victory bell, we hear a bell that starts sounding a lot like, um, I forgot the guy, UFC fighter, the guy that's the referee, the, uh, let's get ready to rumble, that, yeah, Kayvon, that was nowhere near him, as impressive as that guy, right? Um, Bruce Buffer, that's his name, yeah, thank you, Kayvon. Um, <laughs> bonus points today. Yeah. I don't know what the bonus points go towards, but there you go. There's ten thousand bonus points. Um, Bruce, that's what begins to ring. It's it's a war. It's a fight. It's not rest. It's let's get it on. It's what we're about to hear. And so I want you to even see the dramatic shift. So look in your Bible. It's not going to be on the screen, but look in your Bible at the shift. Just in terms of the contrast from what Tyler taught us through last week and what I'm going to look at this week. Chapter 3 verse 13 begins this way, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan. Jesus came. That's how that one began to be baptized. This word came is a voluntary aspect of mission, right? He voluntarily just came. It's this it's this cute little bell. That it makes for great wall art. The baptism of Jesus is something that we look at and go, "Oh, that's real pretty." I'm going to put that on the wall. You know what we don't put on our wall? The temptation. Right? Because it's not as pretty. And even in this verse, you'll see the contrast. Tyler's passage began with, then Jesus came. But what does our verse today start with in chapter 4, verse 1? Then Jesus came by the Spirit to the wilderness. What does it say? He was led. What does Mark say? He was driven. To the wilderness. Doesn't sound as voluntary, does it? Doesn't sound as fun and as pretty. And what we're gonna see in this is that he doesn't come to the wilderness to be baptized, which is cute, but in the wilderness he comes to be tested. Jesus was driven by the Spirit to be tested. Why would we think our lives will be any different? There's gonna be a ton that we're gonna learn in this passage today. And, And what happens here, As Jesus heads into the wilderness, driven by the Spirit, to be tested by God himself. Now, this tested, don't get tripped up. The word there is tempted, but it can also be tested. God himself, as we know in James, God tempts no one. So God doesn't lead Jesus, drive him out to the wilderness to dangle carrots of sin to see if Jesus would fail or not. That's not what's going on. But he 100% drives him in the wilderness, not to dangle a carrot, but to allow him to be sifted by Satan to see if he would be tempted and fall into that temptation. It's two totally different things, but nonetheless, this is exactly what goes on in this passage. And so like Jesus coming to be baptized, Jesus is being led, not voluntarily, but as a mandatory mission. A mission that is going to impact us. And so again, the bell begins to ring, ding, 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 let's go to war. And so the bottom line is this, up to this point in Jesus' life, Jesus has for 30 years been pure and sinless in silence. Now, it's something for a monk to remain pure. As a matter of fact, I would argue no monk can remain pure. But it's a little easier for a monk to remain pure than us because a monk, well, dunk, 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 is a monk, right? They live in caves. Um, there's no TV. They just sit there. As a matter of fact, they don't speak. That's a good way to not fall into temptation and sin, right? If I could just shut my mouth, that would alleviate a lot of my sin right there. <laughs> Right? If I could burn and sear something in my eyes, that would eliminate the, the other half of my sin. I'm just kidding. I sin all over. You would have to kill me to stop sinning. Right? <laughs> but it's easy for a monk, easier for a monk. So for 30 years, Jesus has almost been monastic like a monk. But now for three years, ding, 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 he is in the limelight. And it's a whole other thing to remain sinless when you are in the spotlight, isn't it? So that's where we're going to find ourselves today. Why is this going to be so important? Well, why did the the Spirit drive the Son of God to the wilderness to undergo a sifting, I think would be the question we would need to ask. And let me give you two reasons, I think, and then we'll dive into the text. Number one, because it is more miraculous, this moment of tempting and, and, and not failing is more miraculous than a resurrected Savior. The fact that Jesus remains sinless is more miraculous than he was resurrected. If he's just resurrected but is sinful, then there's no miracle at all. The fact that he remains sinless is of grand importance to us. It's the biggest firework that's about to explode. Why? Because for sin's curse of death to be broken, somebody has to conquer life. And I don't know about you, but I'm not standing up going, I've conquered it. And so there's got to be somebody that conquers it. And then number two, why is this so important? Because redemption, the redemption story, is both about rewriting history, W-R-I-T-I-N-G. It's both about rewriting history, but it's also about rewriting, R-E-R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G. I should have put that on the screen. That would have been a lot easier, wouldn't it, Matt? Yeah. It's about both. Redemption is the history has to be rewritten, but somebody's got to write it. They've got to do it the right way, and so that's what happens. In other words, here's what I'm trying to say. The first Adam messed up, but the second Adam has a chance at victory, and that's where we find ourselves. Well, we've been on the diving board bouncing it. And now let's jump into the text, okay? So look at the screen. This will be on the screen. Go ahead and pop to the uh, next couple of slides if you don't mind, Andy. Go to the next one. Uh, there we go. There'll be some things that pop up. I want you to see this, how this is playing out. The temptation is indeed to begin a brand new, and the pun is intended here, so catch it. The temptation is to begin a brand new Genesis. It really is. There's a contrast going on between the first Adam and the second Adam all the way through this passage. If you don't see it with your eyes, you might miss it. Listen to this. The first Adam, who messed it all up, here we go. The first Adam was offered this question, will you obey me? He was given a beautiful garden. He was given a feast of food. You can have food from every tree except for one. The first Adam was given a full stomach, wasn't he? He could eat anything he wanted. And the first Adam was even given a companion. You don't need to do this alone. I'm giving you a helpmate. Here's Eve. So this is the first Adam. Will you obey me with all these grand things? And then the second Adam, look at the contrast. It's the same question Will you obey me? But he wasn't given a beautiful garden, he was given what? A barren wilderness. He wasn't given a feast of food. As a matter of fact, here's no food. Here's just dirt and rocks in the wilderness. The first Adam was given a full stomach, but the second Adam is given starvation. The first Adam is given a companion, and Jesus heads off to the wilderness all by himself, lonely. Same question to the first Adam and second Adam. The first Adam botched it up. Will the second Adam get it right is the question that should be leading us as we dive into this text. And so for the first Adam with all this fluff, Satan steps in, and this will be on the screen as well. Satan steps in and he questions God's goodness. And he says, "Oh, God's holding out on you, Adam. He's holding out on you. Don't you think you should eat from that tree?" And he does and he buys into the lie that God's holding out something good. And so he falls. And in that fall, we all fall too. But the second Adam, Satan steps in and he asks a different question. Satan steps into the barrenness and no food and starvation and loneliness. And Satan steps in. and He doesn't question God's goodness. He questions Christ's goodness with this question. You're not quite as holy as you think you are, Jesus. And that's what plays out through the temptation. And it's attack on his holiness to get him to fall. And if he falls, we have no hope. So let's watch how this plays out in the text together. All right? You ready? That's quite a a journey through the setup. Um, So let's look at the temptation. So the bell rings, ding, and we're going to hear three rounds that go on. Verse 1 and 2 says it this way. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. He was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Um, Snickers would say it a different way. He was hangry, right? Jesus is, this is literal food. He he is missing food for 40 days. As Brandon Sinan rightly pointed out in the 9 o'clock, Brandon was teaching, he did a fantastic job teaching us through the text at 9 o'clock. Um, he rightly pointed out that Jesus is, at this moment, he's not even in the shape to answer questions, but he's not even in the shape to stand upright. <laughs> he has no food, and he's in the wilderness. There's heat bearing down. There's rocks. Even when he goes to sleep, he grabs a stone. He doesn't grab a therapeutic pillow to lay his head on. <laughs> he grabs a rock. And So this is the situation that we find Jesus in, and then round one, Satan begins to attack. So after the fast, for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter, here we go, came to him and said to him, watch how how he tips him, if you're the son of God, he's already attacking, not God's goodness, but uh, but Jesus' holiness. If you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now this should make sense to us Because we know Satan always tempts us with slippery suggestions, don't we? Can you hear the slippery suggestions that he's already putting in Jesus' ear? Can you see them? Here's what it sounds like, right? What kind of divine son doesn't hear from their father in 40 days? Jesus. What kind of divine son is driven to the desert by their dad? That doesn't make a lot of sense. Are you really the son of God? What kind of divine Son of God, Jesus, gets hungry? That doesn't even make good sense. If you're God, you shouldn't be hungry. What kind of divine Son, Jesus, can't fix this? You should be able to fix this. Remember, this is right after the baptism. Baptism. Boom, sky rips open, spirit falls. God himself says, this is the Son of God. The next moment, Satan steps in and says, are you really the Son of God? He's so slippery, I hate him. (laughs) And he slides slides in seductively, and all that stuff seemed to make a lot of sense. If if you're the Son of God, why on earth is this going in? And, And so here's the little thing, you'll hear it all the way through the text. Basically, Satan says this, Jesus, there's got to be a better way. Just abandon this crazy fast and eat some bread, son of God. You see what he's doing there? So he slips in and he begins questioning. Now watch Jesus' response. And here's Jesus' response. Bell 1 has rung. He attacks him with selfish desires. And Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, quoting Deuteronomy 8, chapter 3. He says, you know what? I am hungry. But in other words, as the Son of God, I'm not here to satisfy my hunger. I'm here to obey every word the Father has written. As the Son of God, I'm not here to satisfy my heart's desires, but I'm here to be about subservience to the very Word of God, everyone He's given me. As the Son of God, you want to know what my meat and drink is? My meat and drink is feasting on the truth. As the Son of God, I will only obey the Father, Satan. I will not obey your temptation, and I won't even buy into my own temptation. And with that moment, if you listen, you can hear it. Ding! Bell one has rung. Round one is over. And Jesus is victorious. So Satan leaves and goes, all right, he's better than me, right? What does he do? He attacks him again. Temptation number two. So Satan says, okay, you want to get real religious, Jesus? I can get religious with you. Let's do this. Let's get it on. So round two begins. Ding. Verse five. Then the devil took him to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. In other words, Jesus, you want to get real churchy, we'll go to church. I'll take you to the church, to the holy city, and you can sit on top of the steeple. I don't think that's what pinnacle means, but we'll go with it, all right? We'll be there at the point. And and so he said to him, if you're the Son of God, still won't let it go. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. In other words, Jesus, you want to get churchy and quote scripture, I can do that too. And he can. As Brandon also rightly said today, and I thought it was a great quote. Church, it's not enough to know Scripture. It's not enough to just be able to quote it back and forward. We need to know Scripture, but we need to know Scripture rightly. And so in this moment, Satan absolutely throws Scripture out there, but he twists it just a little bit. And so this quote comes from Psalm chapter 91. And you can hear Satan's sly nature turning, not from just slyness and cunning, but it's starting to slip into a little bit of frustration now. Oh, we're going to jockey for position. Let me quote some scripture too, Jesus. No son of God would be in the desert, but if you were truly the son of God, you would be on the throne of the church and everybody would see you. So how does he tempt him? It's simple. Just jump down. If you jump down, the angels will show up. Scripture tells us that angels are there ready just for the moment to go rescue, not only here, but on the cross. Myriads of angels just sitting there, and God the Father is not absent. He's allowing him to be safe, sifted, but he's not absent, which should say something to us. If you're going through a sifting right now, God's not absent, He's not absent. But he's standing back, and the angels are like, God, just let us go. And he says, no, 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 hold up. My son has this. And the temptation is just jump down, let the angels show up, and then everybody will definitely know you're the son of God. Sounds good, doesn't it? Satan's lies usually do sound good. And so he slips in. Second round, but the same punch. Did you hear it? It sounds like this. There's a better way than the way that we're going about this. There's a better way. Just jump and prove your worth, and I will leave you alone. And now Jesus' response is a little more tricky, but let's dive in. If if we will, just kind of huddle around. Let's put on our snorkeling goggles. That's snorkeling goggles? That's not a goggle. Put on our snorkel, let's let's just kind of dive a little deeper. And Jesus responds with this. Again, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Satan offers him, look, I'll leave you alone if you'll just jump. And Jesus says, Satan, you know the word, but you're twisting it. You're asking me to break the principles of non-contradiction. Meaning, That one scripture can never contradict the other scripture. And you're holding this up like a good carrot and it sounds good, but it's twisted because this scripture says this. And so let me explain this to you real fast. If Jesus jumps and honors Psalm 91, which indeed does say that angels are there at his beck and call. If he does that, then he dishonors Deuteronomy 6.16, which says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So if he honors one, he breaks the other. And so Jesus says this, Look, if I honor Deuteronomy 6, meaning that I will not put the Lord my God to the test, I also honor Psalm 91, which says the angels are indeed there to guard me. Meaning... In other words, I don't trust God based off of tests, Satan. I trust him based off of truth. The truth is, yeah, angels would indeed catch me. But the truth is, as the Son of God, I will in no way put my Father to the test. You see how that's playing out? And so, are you seeing the gospel being fulfilled for you right here in this passage? All righteousness is being attained. So, if you're one who goes, you know what, I fail at testing God all the time. God, if you'll just do this, then I'll do this. Troy, I am so convicted by that right now. Good. Jesus conquered it for you. Hope you see the gospel being played out. If you're going, Troy, I don't jack that up, but I do try to fulfill my selfish desires over and over. Good! (laughs) Do you see Jesus conquering that temptation for you? This whole thing is substitutionary in nature. And there it is again. Ding! Round two. Jesus victorious still. And so Satan leaves him. Right? Negative. He is a pesky punk. So far, Jesus has not failed at temptation of selfish desires. Just eat it, man. So far, he's not failed at scriptural obedience. Just jump, man. This Jesus is pretty confident, Satan says. So confident that I bet I can get him as a glory hoarder. I bet I can get him to want people to praise himself. And so round three begins. And again, Satan, the devil took him to a very high mountain. I wish I knew what that mountain was, but I don't. Took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. That's why I'd like to see this mountain, because I don't know a mountain that you can see the whole world. It's got to be like a third dimension or something. Very Marvel-like. I'm not saying Stanley was a prophet. I'm saying Stanley might have been a prophet. So, again, the devil and everybody, and there's a lot of people going, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. It's okay. It's okay. You haven't been enlightened yet. That's Gnosticism. That's a heresy. Don't listen to me when I say that. Okay. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all of these I will give to you if you'll just fall down and worship me. If you'll just worship me. If you'll just get a little glory for yourself, I'll give you everything. You ever fall into that temptation? A lot of people have. Hitler being one of them. It said that in 1932, Hitler wrote in his diary, I have signed a contract with Satan for the kingdoms of the world, and he signed it literally with his own blood. It could equally be said that apart from the prevention of the Holy Spirit, Troy Nicholson would have done the exact same thing. Because in us is all the desire for glory. And that's exactly where he hits Satan. Sounds something like this. You have only one life to live so just live it up. Take the bull by the horns and steer that bad boy however you want to steer it. Make the most of all the treasures in the world because he who dies with the most toys still dies. Womp, womp, womp. Or in the words of the largest shoe industry in the world, just do it. Just do it. Third round, exact same seduction. Hopefully you've heard me say it three times. Basically what he's saying is, Jesus, there is a better way to this. But this time, it's a little bit different. Because the sun was indeed promised a complete and utter inheritance of all the kingdoms of the world by the Father. He was indeed promised that. And so what Satan's saying is, Jesus, there's an easier way to get all of the creation, all the power, all the glory, all the worship, if you'll just do what? Bow to me, meaning just skip the cross. Did you catch it? There's an easier way. There's a better way. Just skip the cross. You don't have to do this. You can have all the kingdoms. I will give them to you. You don't need the spitting. You don't need the mockery. You don't need the rejection. You don't need to conquer sinfulness. You don't need to bear the wrath of God. There's an easier way to get what you want. All you got to do is just, just bow a little. Just bow before me. One time. Just bow before me one time and I'll give you all the kingdoms. Do you see that? Don't you hate this dude? He does the exact same thing to us. And the problem was that this offer wasn't Satan's offer to give. Because as Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world And all those who dwell in it, that was back then, and that is still today. Satan is a delusional wannabe. And he will test you with, don't you want this? I'll I'll help you get it. Just hang it with me just a little bit. You know, it's not his to give. And the interesting parallel of this doesn't this temptation to skip Calvary sound familiar? Is it ringing any other bells in somebody's mind? Mark chapter 16, we'll get to it probably in 2030. You'll remember the story, Mark chap- Matthew chapter 16, 21 through 23. Christ tells of his assignment to suffer and to bleed and to die and to be killed. And there's a certain person that stands up and says, mm-mm. No way, not you, not on my watch. Far be it, you will not go through this, Lord. And who was that? Peter. And Jesus looked at him and said, what? Get behind me, Satan. Powerful! And Jesus' response this time is the exact same thing. Get behind me, be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Deuteronomy 6, 13. Don't you want some glory? And Jesus proudly stands up and says, Nope, I don't. There's not an easier way. I'll obey the will of the Father and be crushed Because in 2019, there'll be a room full of folks in Northport, Alabama, who need me to conquer this. Ding. (laughs) Round three. Jesus, still victorious. And the final scene is fantastic as we wrap it up. Satan... leaves (laughs) why because he realizes at this moment genesis 3 15 is indeed underway you remember genesis 3 adam falls god stands up and says now forevermore there will be strife between you and the serpent he will strike your heel but the offspring will do what crush his head and satan takes the first blow and goes "Uh uh-oh If I hang out too long, my head is gone. And so the second Adam has now stomped the head of the serpent and will crush that sucker in three years. So Satan leaves, and then what happens? Angels come. That's awesome. Now, I can't prove it, but I've got a sneaky suspicion that a divine feast came with them. I think they came with a picnic basket like you ain't never seen. In my head, it's chicken wings and cheesy fries. Now, I don't know, can I get an amen? Now, I don't know what it is in your picnic basket that he shows up with, but I do believe this is what happens. And the reason I believe that is because that's exactly how a divine father would love on his son after temptation and starvation. Just like he loves on you after you go through temptation. And I think he feasts with him. And he floods him with the goodness that is to come for the believer. Well, as the band comes up, let me list out some points of application that I think we can practically take away. What a great passage, right? Hopefully you've seen the temptation of our Lord in a different way today. Or, actually, let me rewind that. Hopefully you've seen it in the same way you've always heard it. <laughs> um, hopefully you've seen the gospel. Well, six things real fast, they'll pop up on the screen. Number one, I'd say this, let's, let's kind of start where we ended. We can learn this from this passage. Um, when we give up when we're tempted, we're missing out on a specific blessing of God. There's no doubt in my mind. But when we labor through, I believe God comes just like he did to Jesus and greets us in special ministering ways when we conquer through temptation. I believe that. So church, fight hard. Labor through. Not only because we need to labor through, but because I believe Jesus indeed will show up in a special ministering way. Maybe it's through a Christian friend. Maybe it's through a church family. Or maybe even he will minister to us through angels unaware. That's a lofty thought, but not unbiblical. Number two, we want to skip out on suffering, but Christ embraced every single moment of it. I think we can learn something from that. So regardless of the point at which you're suffering right now, the chief end of man, even in your suffering, is to worship him in all things. Number three, I think we can learn this from this passage. (laughs) Where Satan will hit you is right in your feelings and not in truth. He will punch you right in your gut feelings. So do not buy the lie to live life and just go with your gut. Don't do that. That's horrendous advice. Dwell on what is true, what is noble, what is right is way more scriptural. And he hits right there. There's a danger in living off of our gut feelings because our gut feelings are like a dadgum roller coaster of emotions with no seat belt. Live life focused on what you know to be true. Number four, parallel to that, I think we can learn that Satan will attack you at your greatest point of vulnerability. When you're tired, when there's big changes, when you're exhausted, when you're hangry. It won't be blatant lies that he'll hit you with. It'll be these subtle little suggestions and justifications. I know you're real tired, but because you're tired, you really deserve better from your spouse. Anybody, right, like nobody wants to acknowledge that one, right? You're really tired. You really deserve better from that booty hole. You, you studied, and I know you're tired, so cheating is really just assistance from what you've already studied. I know you're tired, so one glimpse, one taste, one touch is perfectly okay. Just don't do it twice. That person really doesn't work as hard as you. And I agree with you. They do not deserve the promotion they got. You deserve it. God really didn't mean that whole tithing thing. Worship thing. Church thing. Gathering with other believers thing. Study thing. Evangelism thing. He didn't really mean all that. He's he's holding out on you. He's holding out rest for you. Number five. Our best response to Satan is not in our own power, but the power of scriptures. Did you notice what Jesus did? All he did was spoke scripture right back into that ugly mug's face. Do not go to battle on your own power. Don't like candles. Don't like music. Don't hire somebody to come be a medium and try to go to war with him. Satan is powerful. There ain't no doubt about it. And he will whoop you bad. But you know what he can't handle? The power of God. And so Sunday sermons are not enough. Community group is not enough. Flood your car with Scripture. Flood your daily devotional Scripture. Your first 30 minutes in the morning with Scripture. Your last 30 minutes in the day with Scripture. Stick sticky notes. I think the greatest gift to humanity by God is sticky notes. (laughs) Write Scripture all over them and stick them everywhere. Put them everywhere everywhere. Put them on your mirror. Put them on the toilet. Don't put them on the toilet. That sounds heretical. Put them in your locker. Put them all over the place. Flood your body with Scripture. Hang wall art in your home of Scripture. Flood yourself when you're working out, when you're relaxing. And yes, as one precious dear saint reminded me and Tyler this week, her and her husband, until he slipped into glory, would listen to Scripture. And she probably still does. Every single night as they went to sleep, they would hit play. And listen to scripture all night long while they were sleeping. Flood ourselves with scripture. And then number six, as I do wrap it up. Biggest of all, we can learn from this. Salvation was not accomplished by Christ's death and resurrection alone. Salvation was accomplished because indeed righteousness did have to be earned by perfect obedience. And he did it. He did it because we couldn't and we wouldn't. Yeah. I think it went down a lot like this. You probably better start playing or I'll just keep talking. (laughs) And all the band went, (laughs) okay. (laughs) I think it went down a lot like this. In eternity, people are being crushed. And works-based salvation had crushed a zillion victims. And all slipped into eternity thinking, I think I did a pretty good job at earning God's favor. And then our glorious Savior said, Hold my crown a second and watch this. And in doing so, he not only broke the temptation cycle, but he earned our righteousness. Believer, Christ never failed in any temptation, and that's the only reason we're covered at all. It's not in what we do or don't do, it's in what Christ has done. So today, how do you walk away from this text? You rejoice in what the second Adam won for you. And then number two, you freely confess your sin to the Son of God and war for obedience afresh and anew where you're failing right now. Believer, rejoice. Unbeliever, you know that you have failed at temptation. That's why you have inward guilt. Something has to conquer that guilt and the scandal of the gospel is that Christ will give you his inheritance that he earned if you'll trust and repent and confess him as Lord and Savior not that you'll get life right but you'll get it wrong and you'll admit that Jesus never did I'll be quiet the word of God for the people of God Let's pray. So Jesus, thank you for this word. Thank you that the temptation historical account is not just about a fun story to think about. That is the fullness of the gospel of our redemption being won for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ not only died, not only rose again, but what we often forget, that he never failed, and though he was tempted in all ways, came out victorious. We cling to his victory. And all the church said, amen. Would you stand with me? The communion table is open, and so as we come to the table, believers, you're invited to come to the table and to drink in (laughs) not the sorrow of Christ, but the victory of Christ. Unbeliever, confess your sin, trust, repent, call on Jesus today. You can be baptized today. We got water going on right now. (laughs) Come talk to me down front if that's you. Let's worship in response.